Oh Lord God, you are other. You are separate from us. The cattle on a thousand hills are yours. You know every bird that is in flight and it is presumptuous of us to think that you are equal, that you are as exactly like one of us. So I pray that you would open up our hearts today, that we might hear from you, that we might receive uh, your transcendent truths uh, within our hearts today. Speak to us, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so our family just recently watched Encanto. 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 Great. <laughs> And we're very aggressive at correcting each other on the pronunciation of this, so I'm terrified that I'm not going to say it correctly and offend uh, so many people, so in Kanto. Uh, how many people have seen it so far? Okay, great, great, great. Isn't the music amazing? It's incredible. Like, I can't get it out of my head, all of the songs, at the same time. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful uh, story. It tells the story of this special family, uh, and each member of the family has a special magical power. One can hear anything from a far distance. One has supernatural strength and can lift up like 12 donkeys on her back. She's awesome. Another one can make beautiful flowers appear wherever she wants, uh, however she wants. But then there's one character, Bruno, and he has the gift of being able to see into the future. And it doesn't take long for everyone in the town to despise Bruno. He predicts rain on his sister's wedding day, and it rains. He predicts that a child's goldfish dies, and it does. And then I take particular offense to this one. He predicts that the town priest will lose all of his hair, and he does. It's a terrible movie. It's a terrible scene. I wept at that. And the people say to Bruno, why can't you give us good news? Why can't you make good things happen? And Bruno's like, look, this is, this is the vision that I've been given. Uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to warn you. I'm trying to prepare you so that you can go into this with less anxiety in your life. But the townspeople simply don't want to hear it. Bruno is ostracized. His family drive him out of town. And they all start singing, we don't talk about Bruno. No, 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 no. We don't talk about Bruno. Uh, lovely song, by the way. That song, by the way, is more popular than Frozen's Let It Go, uh, which is crazy. We don't talk about Bruno. Well, right now we're in the season of Epiphany. Uh, the church uh, globally, historically, is in the season of Epiphany right now. And the theme verse, you could say for Epiphany, is the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ broke into this world, inaugurating his kingdom. Uh, a church father, Cyril of Alexandria, says, Satan is fallen, herds of devil are, devils are vanquished, and multitudes are set free. You see, the kingdom of Jesus is the kingdom of light and of life. And here at Restoration, we have several ways of celebrating this. We've got a, a bright flaming array of, of candles on the altar. We pray alongside the global church using liturgy from uh, the church in Kenya. And we listen to stories like the one that we heard today proclaimed in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus goes forth all throughout the countryside and even into his own hometown proclaiming the good news. But the unfortunate reality is that good news is not always received with open arms. Good news for one is not good news for all. You see, we generally prefer to receive news that is easy, that is predictable, that is safe, news that is familiar, news that is controllable, manipulable. Bruno is none of those things, 
And as we'll see here in a minute, neither is Jesus Christ as well. Jesus is not predictable. Jesus is not safe. Jesus is not familiar. Or of all, Jesus is not controllable. So in Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus preaching in his own hometown. Jesus, the, the famous local boy who uh, all, uh, people around the countryside are marveling at him. He finally comes home and he gives a word to his friends and to his family. And this scene quickly transforms from people marveling at his gracious words to one of truly terrifying, uh, violent wrath. Those who've known Jesus his entire life transform and they start chanting, we don't talk about Jesus. No, 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 no. And then they begin marching him up to the nearby cliff. So I'd like to move through this story in three scenes. So the scene, first scene, Jesus wows the crowd. So if we were to rewind this passage a little bit, uh, we would see that Jesus has just read from the book of Isaiah, the prophet. In fact, that passage is exactly what we read last week in uh, last Sunday's uh, service. I, I preached from uh, Nehemiah, but uh, the gospel re reading was the first part of this story. In fact, the last verse of last week's story is the first verse of this story. So last week we read uh, this quotation from Isaiah where, where Jesus says, I have come. I've come to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then that brings us to verse 21 where Jesus says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am the embodiment of these ancient prophecies that our people have been longing for. For generations. I am the one who is proclaiming good news. I am the one who will be setting or proclaiming liberty to the captives and, and setting free those who are oppressed. Now, at first, the people are delighted by this. They like hearing this. They're like, yes, this is it. This is the moment. This is, this is what we've been longing for for a really long time. They marvel at his gracious words. And keep in mind who is in the room in this gathering. Most likely, it was a gathering that was probably about the size of, of this, you know, maybe 180 or so. These are people Jesus grew up with, and they know that this is the carpenter's son. No doubt, people in the room uh, have pieces of their home, pieces in their home that the carpenter has, has worked on. Some of you are carpenters, uh, and you've worked, uh, you, you've done stuff for other people here in the room. So there is a familiarity of not just Jesus, but his work and what he's done. He's, he's built tables and chairs for them. He's installed shelving for them. He's repaired leaky roofs and, and built wheelbarrows for them. Chances are, if, if you were to, to get out of the gathering and walk around the town, you'd be able to point out projects that Jesus uh, has had his hand in. Historians tell us that Nazareth was a, an extremely small town, uh, no more than a, a few hundred people. And I bet Jesus knew the name of every single person in the room. Uh, not, not just because he's the son of God and he kind of knows these things, but I'm sure everybody, he knows everyone. He's, he's had interactions with everyone in the room. He, he knows their stories, their backgrounds, kind of the, the reputation that they have, that their families have. And likewise, it goes both ways. They know the same kinds of stories about him. There's a familiarity between Jesus and the people. They know him and he knows them, and the people speak well of him. And there's kind of this local uh, pride, you could say. Wow, this is Joseph's son. This is remarkable. Who would, have, who would have thought that someone from our village would be the fulfillment of these prophecies? 
So the sun is shining, everything is lovely, people are singing, everyone just thinks these words that Jesus is proclaiming are just great. But then the mood in the room quickly changes. Scene two, Jesus pokes the bear. So Jesus perceives what is in the heart of his neighbors, his friends, perhaps his family. And he quotes to them, and in verse 23, he quotes to them a, a well-known proverb. He says, you know, no doubt some of you are, are sitting here thinking to yourself right now, physician, heal yourself, you know? And that's kind of a way of saying, I know what you're thinking. You know, you're, you're thinking I've been out doing all of these miracles and, and amazing things all throughout the countryside. And so now here I am among my own, you know, among my own. And so you want me to do the same sort of thing for you that I've been doing elsewhere. In other words, you think because of our familiarity that I ought to perform for you, that I owe you something, that because of our relationship, I'm going to be doing miraculous things in your midst. So do you see what's happening here? The people think that because this is Jesus' hometown, that he automatically owes them something. They think that proximity equals privilege. Jesus, you healed people in Capernaum, now do that here. Well, isn't it true that one's own home and one's own family can often be one of the hardest mission fields, right? Uh, several of you know that I, I used to work for Apple Retail. I, I try to find as many opportunities as I can to share that because I love that. Some of you are like, no more, please. Um, I used to work Apple Retail, and one of my friends uh, actually like bridged the gap. Uh, she got promoted from Apple Retail to go work at Apple Corporate in Cupertino, California. And it's incredibly rare for someone to make that jump. Uh, there's like a million retail workers, very few corporate um, workers. And so we were all thrilled for her. We thought that was great that she would kind of uh, leave where we were and go all the way out to California to work at corporate. Well, one time, it, it just so happened that I had the opportunity to be in Cupertino. And so I called up my friend and I was like, hey, can, can we hang out? And she was like, yeah, how, do you want a tour? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is Apple headquarters. It, it's like trying to get into Wonka. Like, this, this doesn't happen, you know? And, you know, this is crazy and stupid. And she was like, okay, so, so come on over, meet me here. And if anyone asks you, just say, you're still an Apple employee. You know, she was like, it might be good for you to remember your old ID number or something like that. I do not approve of lying, uh, by the way. Um, we'll just kind of, that's not the point of the story. <laughs> um, so we'll focus on the point of the story. So what we did is we, we peeked around and uh, I, I'm not gonna give too many details, but we, we peeked inside of like the offices of, of some of uh, executive uh, may or may not be executives. Uh, I saw a project that they had been prototyping. I saw Johnny Ive's car, which is freaking awesome, if you know who Johnny Ive is. Uh, it was amazing. It, but if I'm being honest, I kind of felt like I deserved that tour. You know, because I, I had punched in the hours, you know, and, and I had been a, a partner with her, like, on, on Teams before. And so I felt like, of course she would give me a tour. Like, I, I sort of deserve this, right? Like, I've, I put in years of hard work. Well, I imagine that in some sort of way, this is how those ancient Jews felt when Jesus came to town. You know, they have that relationship with him. They have that, that familiarity with him. And so they presume upon that. And they think, you know what? We should, we should be getting special favors from you, Jesus. I mean, we grew up with each other, man. Like, heal my leg, you know? Heal this, this cough that's, that I can't shake. And Jesus says, look, just, just because we come from the same town doesn't mean that you get special access 
Now, if there's any confusion about this, if the people, if they're somehow like fogging out and they're, they're not getting the point, Jesus drives it home even further. So he's poked the bear once, he pokes the bear again. He says, look, many, many years ago, there was a terrible famine in our town. And Elijah, the prophet, he, the, even though there were so many widows who were hungry and in a bad situation, Elijah didn't go and visit any of them. He said, instead, he went to Sidon, outside of Israel, outside of the covenant people of God, and he provided food and relief to some Gentile woman over there. And then he tells a second story. He says, let's think of Elisha, the prophet. Now, there were many, many Israels, you know, whose lives were just terrible because of their disease all around Israel. They were not in a good situation. But Elisha did not go and heal any of them. Instead, Naaman, this Syrian general, right, like a general of an enemy army, instead, Elisha heals him of his leprosy. So in both of these cases, it's an outsider, it's a Gentile, it's an untouchable, it's an outcast, it's a reject. It's someone like that who has shown favor more so than the children of Israel. So end scene two, Jesus poking the bear. Scene three, things get really ugly. People get mad. They get mad. They, they don't get mad, and let's be clear, they don't get mad because Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy. You know, that they're, they're delighted about. That they like. No, rather it's because they're being told that they don't have any sort of special favors. They don't have any sort of special access with Jesus. There's no role to play, special role that they have in his kingdom. There's no spe- special uh, positions of power in his kingdom. There's no special access to miracles. There's no special anything. And imagine the offense of that. I mean, imagine how terrible that is. I mean, one time I remember uh, our family, uh, Molly um, had a friend in town who was uh, an actor in a play, and she got us backstage passes, and we, we sort of felt entitled to that. Um, and it was an amazing experience, right? But if her friend had said no, like, that would have been offensive to us. Like, really, you won't, you won't accommodate us? And so the Jews are incredibly angry at Jesus. In fact, they're so angry, they try to kill him. The people rise up, they drive him out of town, and they attempt to throw him off of a cliff. Now let's just pause here for a moment and and imagine how traumatizing that would have been for any human being to experience. And remember, these are people who Jesus had grown up with, people whose homes he'd worked on, people who he had served, people who are his friends and perhaps even his family. These aren't strangers. This isn't some like anonymous mob that's coming after him. These are his own lifelong friends and neighbors. So I don't know what, to what degree any of you may have experienced betrayal, abandonment, or been attacked by those who, you lo- or those who love you, those who are near and dear to you. But hear this. Jesus has been there before. He knows that experience. He knows betrayal. He knows what it's like to look in the eyes of people who he thought he trusted and loved, and they're coming at him with pitchforks. Jesus knows what it's like to be attacked. And this won't be the last time that it happens either. They literally take him to a cliff. Well, because it wasn't yet Jesus' time, he mysteriously slips through the crowd, slips through the violent mob, and he continues his ministry elsewhere. So why does this story matter? What's the significance of this story? 
Why do we um, play a special song and, and then Rick grabs a special book and, and walks to the middle of the room and, and reads and, and then together after a story like this, we say the gospel of the Lord. Gospel means good news. What, what's good news about this kind of story? It's, it's tragic, it's depressing, it's, it's strange. Why does Jesus go through so much effort to make it absolutely crystal clear that his neighbors, his friends, and his families have zero special access to him? Why is it? Why does Jesus do that? Well, I love what the Apostle John says. The Apostle John summarizes this story in one line. He says, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But then the second half of that sentence, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God. You see, friends, that is our good news in this story. Because Jesus' love is not based on special access. You don't need to belong to the right family. You don't need to belong to the right ethnic group. You don't need to belong to the right socioeconomic class. You don't need to belong to the right alumni association. You don't need to belong to the right whatever. You don't have to be smart enough. You don't have to be influential enough. You don't have to be wise enough or young enough or beautiful enough or, or healthy enough or clean enough or pure enough to receive the love and the grace of God. Do you know what does qualify you for the grace and the love of God? Being a sinner. Being a sinner. Being a wretched, dirty, broken sinner. The sick receive his grace. The lonely receive his grace. The tired, the meek, and the poor if you are a broken sinner like me, then Jesus says, believe in me. Place your trust in me. Repent and follow me, he says. And this is good news for me. This is good news for you. And this is good news for all of our coworkers, all of our neighbors. This is good news. Because by the power of Jesus' death and resurrection, his invitation is for all of us to become children in the household of God members of his kingdom, a part of his family, equipped with the Holy Spirit and able to walk in his righteousness, to experience his joy and his peace in the midst of a tragic, war-torn world. Again, not because of any group that you belong to, but because of his abundant grace and love. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be manipulated or controlled. We cannot presume upon you. And this is good news, Lord, because your ways are not our ways. We do not need to work up or muster up special access in order to receive your love. We don't need to lean on our own accomplishments or our identity or, or any sort of status that we might cling to. Lord, help us to cling onto nothing but your grace and your grace alone. Lord, you restore the lonely widow. You restore the unclean leper. You restore the broken sinner, Lord. We love you and we worship you. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.